I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. For many of us, Christmas will look quite different this year, but one constant we have is the plants. They've been a source of joy for many, and we want to celebrate the ones that give us cheer during the darker months. Today, we'll hear the symbolism behind some Christmas plant names. So Holly, apparently Druids, felt that it was a symbol of fertility and eternal life. How to grow your own tree for the holiday period. Thinking sustainably for Christmas trees is kind of like giving your Christmas present to the environment by being just that little bit more considerate at Christmas time. And we'll look at a houseplant with a rather festive name. Schlurenbergia, or Christmas cactus as it's more commonly known, is a succulent often referred to as a cactus, but unlike desert-dwelling cactus, this is actually a plant that grows in jungle-type environments. We're all things jolly in this week's edition of Gardening with the RHS. Ho, ho, ho! (laughs) I'm Guy Barter. We'll begin by looking at the language of flowers as my colleague Fiona Davison discusses the meaning behind some plants associated with Christmas, including holly, ivy and mistletoe. So we all know which plants are traditionally associated with Christmas, but what we might not know is how long ago they stretch back. They stretch back, actually. Their symbolism of them stretches back way before there was a Christmas. So holly... Apparently, Druids felt that it was a symbol of fertility and eternal life. And the Romans associated holly with Saturn, the god of agriculture and harvest. And they would actually hang bunches of holly outside of their houses during the festival of Saturnalia, which was the winter festival. And it appears that it was adopted by Christians after that as being a symbol of good luck and celebration for Christmas. And they said that the sharp leaves was reminiscent of Christ's crown of thorns and the red berry was to do with Christ's blood. But actually that tradition of hanging a holly outside your front door is way, way older. And the same goes for ivy. Ivy was traditionally uh, worn by Dionysus, the Greek god of wine and agriculture and generally having a good time. And his festivals, like Christmas became, was a, a festival of drunken revelry. Ivy was hung on poles outside of public houses for people who couldn't read as a sign that they sold wine and beer. So ivy fits in nicely with Christmas being a time of, well, heavy drinking and good times. 
Same goes for mistletoe. Mistletoe is also much older than Christmas. The Celts, the Druids again, believed that mistletoe was a symbol of fertility. The Romans also associated mistletoe with the god Saturn and Saturnalia, their mid-December festival and like Christmas, a kind of time of partying in deepest midwinter. That association with fertility appears to be why we kiss under the mistletoe. So they're the really traditional plants associated with Christmas, but another plant that's kind of become associated with Christmas is amaryllis. Now, amaryllis seems to have become a a plant that gets given as gifts. But the thing about amaryllis, now hold on to your hats, I'm about to take you into the happy world of horticultural taxonomy here. Most people know this plant as amaryllis, but actually its proper botanical name is hippistrum. And the confusion dates back to the father of botanical naming, Carl Linnaeus, described a plant as amaryllis. He named the plant after a nymph who fell in love with a gardener and, for reasons best known to herself, decided to woo him by turning up at his door every night and piercing her heart with a golden arrow. And he named this plant amaryllis. But there was debate afterwards, because at the time in the 1700s there were no photographs, this debate was, was he describing a plant from South America or South Africa? After a long hoo-ha, they decided, the botanist decided he was describing a plant from South Africa. But we, at Christmas, grow the plant from South America. But that confusion, that it was called amaryllis, continued when, in fact, they decided the proper name for the plant. We grow at Christmas was hippistrum. But to cut a long story short, whatever it's called, it can be forced to flower at Christmas. It's very unusual being a flower that it's easy to force to flower at Christmas. And the bulbs are nice and portable. You can put them in a nice pot and sell them. So they became a real commercial success, particularly in America from the 1950s. And so they've just become associated with Christmas, even though in nature, hippistrums slash amaryllis actually want to flower in March. Fiona Davison. Now, the centrepiece of many homes this time of year is the tree. Many of us prefer the real deal, as their lovely resinous scent is too much to resist. But it's not always the most sustainable approach, particularly as many cut trees are imported from abroad. It can be much better to get a container plant that will last for years and can grow as your family does. We spoke to RHS gardening advisor Becky Mealy to find out how to make the switch. So one of the most sustainable things you can do is choose a containerized tree over an artificial tree. A real tree is more sustainable than an artificial tree, but there are still a few things that you can make it a lot more sustainable by buying UK trees, making sure that they're locally grown. So again, you're reducing the air miles, but then also you're reducing any pests and diseases that can come into the country from having trees that have been grown in Europe. There's about 27 different pests and diseases that can come in on those trees and they're very easy to kind of get into the trees because when they're being transported, they're in the nets and that's a nice environment for them to just sneak into and, and come over. So, you know, ideally it'd be really quite nice to just to kind of get a local tree, support local growers, but also 
having a containerized tree, you're kind of reducing having those extra air miles because you've got that tree there at your house for a couple of years. And then each year you bring it in, just up, give it a feed and then put it back out. One way of having a containerized Christmas tree and not having to then look after it yourself is by adopting a Christmas tree. So you can adopt these Christmas trees from Christmas tree farms. They have the facility where they bring it to you. You look after it for the two weeks, three weeks you have it, and then they come and collect it. It goes back off to the field to its friends and sits there and they tell each other stories about what the humans got up to at Christmas. And they have like kind of the whole Christmas tree spa and get juzzed up and pruned and fed, ready for coming back to us the following year. So that's quite a nice way of having it. And you can keep adopting the same Christmas tree each year. So it's quite a nice way of doing it. Top tips for looking after your Christmas tree indoors. Make sure it's nice and cool. So ideally, turn off the radiator where it is. Keep it out of a draft because, again, drafts can be quite drying. Tip number two, watering. You're bringing it inside and it's naturally going to be warmer. Because of this temperature increase, containerized trees will need that little bit extra feed. But equally, don't completely drown it. So do check it at the base. And again, with cut trees, you normally have them in a container that you top up. And three is understanding that they have got a certain amount of life that they can be inside. So with a containerized tree, it's a good idea once it's been in your house to kind of maybe put it in the garage for a couple of days just so it kind of gets the temperature difference because it can be a little like going out into a cold plunge pool in January from being in a nice warm house. A container-grown Christmas tree is pretty much can only do about two weeks inside for looking good and then for flourishing the following year and being there for your Christmas tree the following year. So once your Christmas tree's back outside, kind of leave it there for a little while till it gets to spring. And then this is a time to kind of have a look at the pot size, whether it needs repotting. If it's a newly bought Christmas tree, it will probably have quite a small pot on it. So it's probably time to pot it on to the next size up. Christmas trees do like a nice rich soil. So probably choose something that's got a loam in it. So I would go for a peat-free compost with added loam. And then I'd also maybe look at getting some slow-released fertiliser pellets to mix in with the compost. Or if you want to, you can just maybe give it a liquid feed once a month during the growing season. Obviously, the Christmas tree will be growing. So make sure it's going to in, in an area that's got quite an even light to it. Because obviously, if it's getting sunshine on one side, you probably find it gets a little bit wonky because the sunny side will grow more than the shady side. So it's a case that you might want to turn it around every so often so that you get a nice, even Christmas tree. And this is also time to give it a little trim. So to make sure the branch is all lovely spaced. Do watch the leader of the tree because things like pigeons can sit on the top of the Christmas tree and bend the top of the Christmas tree. So sometimes you might lose your leader. 
The worst thing is the summer because obviously watering and keeping it well watered because it can dry out. So make sure whoever's looking after your house when you're on holiday has got strict instructions to keep an eye on the, the Christmas tree and to make sure it's well watered. A containerized Christmas tree only has a certain amount of years that it will be happy in a container. So as long as you're not keeping it in the house for too long and you're repotting it every so every two years and you're trimming and feeding it, you probably can keep your Christmas tree going for at least five years. But they do have a certain amount of a lifespan. The fact that you're having that for five years so you're not having an artificial tree that has to then end up in landfill that will never, ever decompose. It's better to just have that tree for five years looking fine and then refresh it. They do have a life expectancy, but thinking sustainably for Christmas trees is kind of like giving your Christmas present to the environment by being just that little bit more considerate at Christmas time. Becky Mealy, definitely worth planning ahead for next year. I have to say that here in my house, we don't actually have a Christmas tree. We decorate the lovely large indoor ficus that is one of our biggest house plants with all the usual baubles and glitter and lights. Now, there's one indoor plant that would be a great addition to any collection, particularly now, the Christmas cactus. Yes, you heard right. Horticultural advisor James Lawrence is here to tell us all about it. Schlurenbergia, or Christmas cactus as it's more commonly known, is a succulent type plant, often referred to as a cactus, but unlike desert dwelling cactus, this is actually a plant that grows in jungle type environments. It originates from Brazil. The succulent leaves on it are actually there to store moisture like they are on lots of plants that have a succulent leaf. But the environment in which they live is actually quite different. They often grow up in the tree canopies. So they can actually grow attached to bark and to moss that will be growing up in the tree's canopy. They can have arching kind of stems and they produce flowers that can be found in a variety of different colours and cultivars. The name has really come around because of the flowering time in the Northern Hemisphere. In their home regions in South America and Brazil, they tend to flower around April to May. So the common name really has no meaning. In other parts of Europe, they are also sometimes called the crab cactus because their limbs and foliage slightly resemble the clawed limbs of crustaceans. So with your Christmas cactus, it can be very beneficial to repot it every two years. And generally end of March is a good time to do that. And I would use a compost such as a Johninist number two, or you could use a proprietary cactus-based compost, which has some really good sort of drainage built into it as well. The important thing when you repot is not to increase the pot size dramatically. So it's very tempting that people will go up in pot size thinking, oh great, if I put it in a very big pot now, I won't have to repot that for another three or four years. The problem with that can be twofold. Firstly, if you go up into a very large pot, the compost tends to hold more moisture and the plants 
can be overwatered easier because there's more soil there to hold the moisture. Secondly, if you are putting it into a large compost, the nutrients and the goodness that are within that compost usually get used up within a year. So if you're not repotting them for another two or three years because you put it into a bigger pot, you'll find that you'll get less flowering and it will be less productive unless you are supplementing it with an additional plant food. Now, they actually need a rest period as well for them to be really good and healthy. So post-flowering, it's important to reduce the watering, literally keep them on the very dry side, and if possible, move them to a slightly cooler room. And that puts them into a rest period for a while. So that can be post-flowering, so from after Christmas, just moving them to another location can be really helpful for them to have a rest period. So a slightly shadier, slightly cooler space. And then from about April, you can start to gradually increase the watering. You can start to move them into a slightly better lit area. And generally, the day length and the temperature will be picking up naturally anyway. You can use a general purpose liquid feed on them from April as well, because the energy that will then be stored for flowering later on in the year. They can actually be put outside in a semi-shaded location, you know, from late spring, early summer. And there is evidence that doing that helps ripen the softer new growth. And ripening the soft new growth can actually be one of the factors that's involved in encouraging heavier flowering. So putting them outside in a shady spot for a few months can be a good idea, particularly if you make sure they get watered occasionally with rainwater and just keep an eye on them when they're outside. Make sure they're not completely drying out through that period because it can be quite warm. And it's important that they're not in full sun where they can dry out too much and where they're not used to that completely bright light. They prefer that filtered light. From kind of September, really, as the day length shortens, that's when you've got to make sure they're they're back inside and they're a bit more protected. They almost go through a second rest period during that time in preparation for their main burst of flowering. So again, around that time, September, October, I tend to reduce the watering again slightly, and I might not bring them into their final place. It might be a slightly cooler, slightly shadier space. And then as you get to the end of October and into November, that's when you can start increasing the light. So move them into a slightly brighter place. You might do a final feed on them to help sustain the buds that are forming. And without overwatering, you might also just increase the watering slightly because as the buds form, they need a bit more moisture and they'll need energy to form those buds and those flowers. There are lots of different cultivars available for Christmas cactus. Now, that they're often not sold as what we call named cultivars in the trade. They're often just sold by colour. So when you go into garden centres and nurseries, you'll often see them advertised as Christmas cactus red, Christmas cactus pink, and so on. There are some specialist nurseries, and they will sell named cultivars. So there are some specialist growers that you can, if you're interested, get slightly more unusual named cultivars rather than the bog standard white pink red that you will see that are mass produced james lawrence i love christmas cactus 
Last week, a lady wrote to us from America and complained that we were calling what she knows as Thanksgiving cactus as Christmas cactus. Well, I had to look into this. And it seems that in America, Christmas cactus and Easter cactus are all called holiday cacti. I think that's rather nice. Well, that's it for this week's show. Just in time, too, I can smell the delicious aroma of Christmas cooking wafting up from the kitchen, and I must head off out into the garden to prune my evergreens to get lots of ivy and skimmia and laurel to decorate the house. If you'd like to find out more about today's topics, go to rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. Until next year, from me, Guy Barter, goodbye and Merry Christmas! I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced-rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.